Good afternoon. This is Apostle Corey Douglas of Zion Ministry in Harvest, Alabama, welcoming you to another verse-by-verse Bible study on the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to pick up our study of Romans chapter number 2. We're going to pick up at verse number 26. Romans chapter number 2, New Testament, verse number 26. And the text reads, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. And again, uh, we are validating that the circumcision uh, were the Jewish people and those whom God presented himself to, the race that he revealed himself to um, when he spoke to man and when he made a covenant with man. He did through this or through the Israelites or the Hebrew people. And they're called the circumcision. And the nations outside of that bloodline, which would be every other nationality that exists in this world, would be considered the uncircumcision. The thought in verse 26 is that God will judge um, his own people or those whom he presented his covenant to, and he will use the lifestyle of those whom he doesn't have a covenant with to condemn or to hold accountable uh, those, the Jewish people, those who he did have a covenant. In other words, if someone that I have not revealed my will clearly to can walk more upright, can walk upright in my will and in my way, and I have not even revealed myself to these nations, he's, verse 26, he's basically communicating to the Jewish people that you have no excuse because I have revealed myself to you. And so because there's been a greater revelation of who he is to the Jewish people, he requires much. It's the same principle to much is given, much is required. But that is also true when it comes to light, teaching, understanding, illumination, encounters, uh, revelation from God. The more as cool and as awesome as these things are, uh, the more we have been given, the more God requires from us. And in that requirement, there is a strong accountability. In other words, he expects us to live up to the standard of what has been revealed or made known to us. Okay, verse 27. It says, And shall not the uncircumcision, which by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you or judge thee, who by the letter, and circumcision does not transgress the law. Okay. Now, let's go a little deeper uh, as it relates to circumcision. Circumcision was a, um, it was a, a biblical, an ancient biblical practice um, that God said would be a sign between him and his chosen people. Uh, it would be a covenant sign. It was a thing that he used to enter into a pact or an agreement with them, okay? It was a seal and a sign. But it also symbolized two things because circumcision was the removal of foreskins. Uh, the foreskin of the males was removed by a sharp instrument, which, which represented the cutting away of the flesh, the cutting away of that which was dead, the cutting away of that which was unclean. Uh, even today, 
uh, circumcision is practiced. Um, you know, most children are males are circumcised for um, hygienical purposes. And so even in biblical times, God instituted his covenant or the way you would know that they were God's people was through the practice of circumcision. Now, uniquely, the Israelites were not the only people who believed in circumcision in that day. You had other nations that practiced circumcision for various reasons, and then you had those that did not practice circumcision for various reasons. But God used this, this uh, practice as a sign and as a seal. What distinguished the Jewish circumcision from the rest of the nations that may have practiced the rest of the pagan nations was that usually uh, pagan nations reserve circumcision of males for uh, puberty or for marriage. Uniquely, all of the children of Israel, all the males, had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And that eighth day represented a new beginning and an entering into a covenant with God. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the same covenant that he made with Abraham when he appeared to him that was passed down through Isaac and Jacob. Um, and then the children of Israel is how the descendants of Israel entered into that promise or that blessing. It was through circumcision. Now, if they refused to be circumcised on the eighth day, then they had no right and they had no inheritance and they had no natural or heavenly right to the covenant blessings, okay? And as we read on down in verse 27, it says, And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you by letter, and circumcision does transgress the law, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. So this kind of reinstates what I was actually saying in the beginning, that when you have people, and I want you to kind of look at this from a Christian perspective as well. God was saying that when you have nations that are more obedient to my righteousness that don't know me, then you who I have revealed myself to, there's a problem. And God is saying, I will use the good deeds of nations who don't know me to condemn the evil deeds of the nations who do know me. Okay. And so he will use the obedience of those without a covenant to judge the disobedience of those who have a covenant. Okay. And that's what he's saying right here in verse number 27. How it relates today, even though we are not dealing with, you know, Jews and Gentiles law versus grace, we can still correlate that to our Christian walk, okay? If someone that is not born again lives a more holy and a more righteous life than, that, than us, a more consecrated, is more acceptable in character, and they live more according to the will of God than we do, who have been born again, who have been regenerated, uh, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who have set up on the teaching, who have had encounters and had all kind of uh, you know, just exposure to the reality of God. God is saying that yet and still that the obedience of those, the, the moral obedience of those that don't have a covenant with me, 
uh, is a testimony. It's a witness against the disobedience of those who do have a covenant with me. And so it's important to really uh, understand that. And this is why First Peter, the Bible said, and judgment shall begin with the house of God first. And if the sinners scarcely be saved, then where should the ungodly, if the righteous scarcely be saved, then where should the ungodly sinner be? So, all right. So that's how it correlates to the Christian. The sinner man should live more holy and more acceptable than us who know God. All right. 28. It says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Now, he's taking this a little deeper. He said, now, I want you to just forget about nationality, bloodline, ethnicity, uh, race, okay, to just, you know, kinders, nations, tongues, and people. Just forget about that natural distinction. And he takes it a step further, and he says that now that the true Jews or or in addition to, because God never gets rid of his chosen people that he revealed himself to. But in addition to that, you and I have the opportunity to be seen in the spirit and to be known in the heavenlies as Jews, as his chosen people. Because he says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. And this is what they practice in the Old Testament, cutting off of the flesh. Then they were Jews outwardly, means according to nationality, according to bloodline, okay? But he says in verse number 29, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And if you're listening out there, I just want to say out loud inwardly. Everything that you and I are called to, to, to do or to become, to accomplish, or to, it all starts inwardly. Nothing starts outwardly when it comes to our relationship with God. It all starts inwardly. Inwardly speaks of the mind. It speaks of the will, the emotions. It speaks of the heart. It speaks of the spirit of man. It speaks of, you know, that the part of us on the inside that is often concealed from others. Inwardly speaks of the motives, okay? You know, our, the seat of reason, you know, the reason that we do things within us inwardly. And so verse number 29 says that the true people of God are those who live an acceptable life to God in their thought life, in their mind, will, emotions, in their soul, in their spirit, and in their motive, in, their, in the thoughts and the intents of their heart, okay? And and this verse says that when a person can be circumcised there in the thoughts and the intents of the heart, when we can put away sin there, when we can be severed, we can sever from fleshly and worldly ways there within. Within is the part that normal and outward people can't see. People, people can't see. They only see what we show, see what we do, see what, how we present things. But God who searches the heart says that I want you to be circumcised in your heart. You know, Jeremiah 17 says that, he says, uh, the heart of man is, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then God responds, I, the Lord, I search the hearts of man, and I try or I test and judge their reigns, R-E-I-N-S, 
okay? To give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And so God wants our hearts to be pure and upright. This is why Jesus echoed this in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Another way that we can say that, blessed are the circumcised in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the clean in heart. Blessed are the sinless in heart. Blessed are the washed in heart, for they shall see God. Okay? And this is where the covenant is either honored with God or it is either dishonored by God. And what I mean by that, it is either honored with God, which means that we obey God from our inward parts, and we choose to be set apart in our inner parts, okay? Or it is the part that God rejects because what he's dealing with in verse number 29 he was dealing with people who knew the Torah. They knew the Old Testament. They knew all of the Word. And they knew how to go through all of the schematics of religion, to put on the face of, of being pious um, and religious. They did all the duties. You, you couldn't find any fault in their outward actions. But who they really were on the inside and what they thought and did and their motives and the stuff that they did that nobody saw and what was in them in their ways is what God rejected and condemned because they were, uh, they were sinful uh, in their inner parts. And the Bible says, for here is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. So this is called a... a if, you know, an interrupting clause, if you see verse 29, in the spirit is an interrupting clause that brings more detail to heart. Okay? So God wants our heart circumcised in the spirit. Now, uniquely, I don't know about whether you realize it or not, but the circumcision really points to the cross as well because even natural circumcision when it comes to the foreskins in a child, it's painful. And there is a separation, there's a tearing, there's a cutting, there's a separation. And so when we're truly circumcised in our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, then there's a pain that we feel. There's a cutting, uh, there's a severing away of the unclean from our heart. Okay? It's, it's an unavoidable pain. Like, if it really happened, you feel it there, the separation, the inner separation. When we separate from uncleanness and we cleave to purity and that foreskin of our heart is torn and separated, it hurts, okay? And there is a, there's a lingering pain that happens as well that is very similar to natural circumcision, okay? Uh, but it solidifies the longevity of health of also of blessings as well. And also it is the um, it is the hallmark side hallmark side of true covenant and true fellowship and true relationship with God. In the New Testament, 
we could simply say this would be equivalent to what the Bible calls conversion. Okay? Remember, Jesus told Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I pray for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, when you fully cross over, when you're truly circumcised, fully in your heart, strengthen your brothers. Now, we know that at that point, Peter wouldn't convert it because he went on after that and denied Christ and cursed at the fire and chopped the man's ear off. And, and so he had a lot of, there was still some stuff on the inside that needed to be cut away. Okay. I want to say this. Don't run from the inner knife. Don't run from the knife of the Holy Ghost. Don't run from the cutting. Don't run from the hurt of obedience, the hurt of separating from the unclean, from the forbidden, the letting go of the abominable or of the sinful and of the unclean thing as it is compared to God's will and God's righteousness. If you and I truly let go, you and I will feel the power of circumcision, the pain of the cross. Uh, but it is a power and it is a pain that leads to life, freedom, victory, you know, triumph, uh, blessing. Uh, it doesn't lead to death. But very few want to feel it and very few go on to feel it. Most people live and even serve God from the outer court, out of their flesh and out of their mind. Uh, most, some people, uh, but very few people let God into having the reins of their thought life, and even deeper than that, their heart, okay, and making sure that their heart is wrapped around the things that are pleasing to God versus the things that are unclean in His sight as well. All right. It says, and circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. Now, this is making a distinction here. He's saying that when the circumcision is only outward, then that warrants the praise of man. People see that from the outside, and they can applaud and say, good job, good job, good job, good job, good job. But what people can't see is the inside, the inner cup. Um, Jesus addressed the people in the gospel when he says that um, these people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far, far from me. For in vain they do worship, teaching for commandments, the doctrines of man. And then in another instance he said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So he was addressing the outer religious compliance, but they lack sincerity. They lack purity of heart. They lack a true uh, commitment of heart to Yahweh, to Jehovah God, and to his Father. And so this is where you and I, and this is the difference between religion and fellowship. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit, but it is a work of the Holy Spirit that only happens when we want it and when we ask for it. Okay, think about your own child if you've got children. Uh, when it came to uh, actually circumcision, you know, you have, to, you have to present them. You have to request that. You have to initiate that. Uh, that just happens. Same thing with us. It's something that we have to go for intentionally. 
for the greater good. Okay. Now, he went on to say that if a person can be circumcised in their spirit or choose that circumcision, then they become identified, you know, from God's heart as his people or as a Jew. And not only that, it says that God alone who sees in the spirit, who sees in the heart, he himself praises them. Okay? God himself will brag. God himself will applaud. God himself will celebrate and root on and give praise to every child and every person that chooses the true circumcision of the heart. God has so many. Let, let, me, let me explain. Never in history has God ever been ashamed of his people. Never in history has God ever been ashamed to stand up for those that please him. Okay? We see it in the book of Genesis when Abraham went into Egypt and he pretended that Sarah was his sister. And God appeared to the Egyptian king and told him that if you touch that man's wife, you're going to die. He's a prophet. We see it when God parted the Red Sea and he brought his people out and destroyed the Egyptians that pursued him. We see it in Goshen. Uh, he made a distinction between his people that he was pleased with and caused their land to be full of life and vitality and right next door, darkness upon the Egyptians. You know, we see it when he spoke up for Job and vindicated Job. We see it when the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased. Okay? Uh, we see it all throughout the Bible that when a man's ways please God, okay, then God praises them. And God don't just praise them and stand up for them and validate them in secret. God does it publicly as well, okay? He, he doesn't pull any punches uh, when it comes to those who please him and those who obey him. And so in this verse right here, when it says, whose praise is not of man, but of God, it is a revelation, it is a key and a secret of showing you and I how to receive heavenly accolades or how to receive sovereign and divine applause from God, Okay. There's, you know, God can speak prophetic words that are celebratory in nature, okay? Uh, he can send prophecies. He can send angels to show praise. He can protect. He can fight. He can stand. He can bless. He can speak audibly. He can appear to people, okay? And he can, you know, or he can appear to you and say, well done. So when we look at this, this is where you and I want to be, Okay? We want to be circumcised in heart and in spirit. We don't just want people clapping for us and people uh, affirming us, but we have no affirmation from heaven. Okay? And so the Jewish people, what they were doing, the leaders that he's addressing here, they were living for the praise of man, for the applause of man, and for as long as they were compliant in the eyesight of man, they were good. But they were living a double lifestyle as well. And so God is saying, listen, if you can let go of the needing to be uh, affirmed and seen and heard and recognized and celebrated by earthlings, and if you can choose the deeper and the true and the real circumcision, which is your heart to me, 
which is tearing your heart away from the world and even your selfish desires and your, your own ways and giving me that heart and let me keep it. Once you place it in my hand, keep it there, okay, no matter how painful it is. Once you place it in my hand, keep it there, okay, and let me have it, okay. And God said, if, you know, those who choose to do that, then that is the true circumcision, and that's when he steps in and he begins to honor, he begins to praise, he begins to validate and to affirm uh, on a on, on, a, on a level higher than any of us can either uh, fathom and recognize. You know, when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice came from heaven. Then if you look in the book of John, uh, in another instance when he was near the cross, um, and I think Peter, James, and John on Mount Figuration tried to build three tabernacles, and, and the Bible says the Father appeared in the cloud and said, this is my beloved Son, hear ye him. That's praise, okay? That's praise that comes from God and not of man. And that's where you and I want to be possessed. But our ways, and not just our, our actions, but more primarily our inward parts have to be circumcised. Our spirit has to be circumcised. We have to be converted, brought over fully and completely on the inside to God. And that part needs to be set apart unto him and clean in order for those type of things to happen. Praise God. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? So the Apostle Paul said, Okay, if this is the case, if the circumcised in the heart are the true Jews, then what's the use? I mean, what, what was the purpose of even appearing to the Jewish people in the first place? Okay, does that kick them out of the equation? Does that take their place, or how do they fit in now? Okay, how do they fit into the equation now? He said, "What advantage hath the Jew, or what profit is there of natural circumcision?" And he answers that question much in every way, chiefly or mainly, primarily, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, this is this is so significant because. The oracles of God, the say, sayings, S-A-Y-E-G-S, the voice of God, the speech of God, is so, so, so precious. And it's something that we can't take for granted. We have to look at this for what it was. The earth was running wild. And God chose to speak from heaven unto a people and to reveal himself. So the oracles of God, represent, number one, the, the, the tablets that Moses was given with the Ten Commandments. So, you know, he really got two sets of tablets. He broke the first set. And then they were, there was another set given to him as well. He got angry and broke. But in the Ten Commandments, the Bible says that God wrote them with his very own finger. Okay? And if you go back uh, and if you Look at that verse. When God was giving in the Ten Commandments his very own words, his sayings, his speech, his oracles, not only did it stop with the Ten Commandments, but when you look at the book of Leviticus, when you look at Deuteronomy and, and some of the laws that were in Numbers, 
these specific detailed things that were given to the children of Israel, these were all given to the Jews from the mouth of God or by the mouth of God, okay, to Moses, but yet and still, it was his speech that was being given to man. It was his word and his saying, okay? Now, as a result of that, that in and of itself sets them apart and makes them a distinguished people, okay? Not only does it make them a distinguished people, it also makes them a highly held accountable people before God as well because they were committed and they were giving by God his very own oracles, okay? Now, I want to kind of liken this and just bring this to New Testament day, okay? Oftentimes we say, God, I want to hear you speak. God, I want to hear your voice. God, I, and just in our generation, we've just kind of made a, a, a game or a fad out of it, like, yeah, that's powerful. Oh, that's cool. Ooh, yeah, you know, God, I heard you, got you, heard you, heard you, heard you. But, and for some reason, we think it makes us more spiritual. That if we hear his voice, then we're with the spiritual elite. And that's, a lot of times, that's kind of all that a lot of people have in mind. And that makes me mature like others because I can hear his voice. It really should make us afraid. Okay. It should, it should terrify us. And I don't say that in a negative way, but I say that in the sense that when we understand that every word of God that you and I clearly hear, that we are held accountable to walk in the light of it, then that brings a whole other perspective because we are held accountable for everything that he speaks to us directly. And so it's more of a responsibility that we should carry with reverence and fear, you know, the, the, the responsibility of hearing him clearly makes you and I without excuse on some things, okay? And so we do want to hear him, but we also want to hear him with a pre-intention of being obedient to what we hear from him as well before we even hear him. You've got to desire compliance to his will and to his way, or the things that you have heard from him at some point will condemn you in the end. God bless you. May God increase you more and more. I pray that the study brought increased understanding and, and insight as well. Uh, and we will resume, Lord willing, next Monday, this coming Monday at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Have a great day.